I want to talk about living a life of generosity today. Living a life of generosity. Haggai chapter 1 verse 5, we're finishing up these minor prophets. Listen to this powerful statement that Haggai makes. The Lord says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to the way you're living. Zechariah 4, 6 says, the Lord says, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, declares the Lord. Here's what it means. Get your priorities in line. Prioritize and emphasize. Pay attention to how you live every day. Honor God above all else. Trust the Holy Spirit to lead you. It's not about you. It all belongs to the Lord. Everything that you have, everything that you receive, everything that you give belongs to God. We came into the world with nothing. We're going to leave again with nothing. The premise statement is this. You own nothing. Everything you have, everything you receive, everything that you're even able to give belongs to the Lord. So God has called us to live a generous life. And a generous life means this. It means to live with an open hand. It means that at any given time, God can put stuff in our hands, and at any given time, God can remove those things from our hands. A generous life is I walk around with an open hand. I'm not clenched fist. I'm not tight. It doesn't belong to me. A generous life is using your God-given abilities, your God-given resources to advance the kingdom of God. Whatever you have, whatever you receive, belongs to God. And so when I start to move into a mindset of generosity, I start to understand that anything that God has placed within me, around me, is to advance his cause and his kingdom. So when you look at your time and you look at your talent and you look at your resources, everything you have is a gift from God. It doesn't belong to you. Everything that we do should be intentional strides to advance the kingdom to advance the cause of the gospel. Generosity is a lifestyle that's to be lived out every day, not just at Christmas. When you start to live a generous life, it's 365. And a lot of us become benevolent at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we want to reach out. But what I'm talking to you about today is generosity is 365. It's every day. It's everywhere we go. Now, here is the principle, and many of us were taught this, and I, I want to hit this Malachi as we kind of close up with Haggai's Zechariah and Malachi today. I want to hit this principle, but I want to unpackage a thought process with you that I think will free you and help you to become the people that God wants you to be. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says this, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God says, you've robbed me in tithes and in offerings. And you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the entire nation of you. You're, you're robbing me. You're stealing from me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse 
so that there may be food in my house. Test me, test me, test me now in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you so that you're not even able to comprehend and contain it. So here, here's the question God poses. Malachi, the last minor prophet that writes, after God speaks through him, there's 400 years of silence. Malachi speaks about a variety of things, but one of the things that Malachi is coming down on, if you will, with the people of Israel is this. You want God to lead you. You want God to bless you. You want God to pour out an abundance on your life, but yet you're robbing God. So you've got to ask yourself the question, do I rob God? Do I rob God in tithes and in offerings? Because God says, if you rob me, you are cursed with a curse. You cannot ask God to bless what God said he's already cursed if we're living a life of a thief. So we do a thing here we call the 100-day giving challenge. And, I, and just grab the card out of your insert if you would. Now, we do this. Now, here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. We don't do this because we want your money. We do this because we really believe that God wants you to move to a place of trust and dependence and surrender to be able to experience who he is. And I'll unpackage this more when it comes to living a life of generosity. But when you pick this up, there's a few verses on it, but it says, my part. So we do a 100-day giving challenge. Your part is to say, over the next 100 days, I will tithe. I will give one-tenth the first fruits of what God is blessing me with, and I will bring it to the storehouse. I'm going to do it. God's part is to bless you according to Malachi 3. Our part as a church, if God does not meet your need, bless you and take care of you, we will give you back all your money. That being said, we don't want your money. We want to see you fully alive and obedient to Christ. If every person is functioning with a transformed heart, living a life of generosity, it's amazing what God can do in your journey. So I would highly encourage some of you you're going, I robbed God. Are you willing to take the 100-day giving challenge? There's a couple sitting here that a few years ago said, all right, we're going to do it. Another buddy of mine came up to me last fall and said, Tim, you know what? I'm going to do it. Right, T.O.? We're, we're, we're going after it. Right, April? Right, Lee? We're, we're, we're going to do it. We've been around church, but we're, we're going to test God. We're going to trust God. Now, here, here's what I want you to know. God has called each and every one of us that are recipients of the gospel to live a generous life, a generous life. This message is not about money. It's about generosity. It's about heart. Now, when you go back and study the tithe, the law, when you study Leviticus and other places of scripture, it says tithe. And tithe meant you bring your best one-tenth, one-tenth. You bring, you bring your best. But when you study the Levitical law, the Jews were required to tithe three tithes. Three tithes. The Jews were. One tithe was for the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. 
You're a part of this family. You're a part of this anointed group of people. You're going to tithe to the Levites. Another tithe was for the temple use. You were part of the temple from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. We all come here. We celebrate uh, Shabbat together. We celebrate uh, uh, the teachings from rabbi together. And then every third year, Nick, they gave another tithe to take care of the poor of the land. So when you start to study tithing, it's, it's a lot deeper than many of us have just been taught. For the Jew, it was, you're, you're, you're going to tithe, but there's going to be three tithes involved. Under the law, under the law, under the law, the law said you had to. You have to. Let me share with you some pros and cons of tithing. Now, as a New Covenant believer, I'll get there, but I want to share with you some pros and cons when it comes to the tithing mindset. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Ponder this. A pro is this. It is a, uh, a great principle teaching. Here's a con. It can become legalistic. It's a great principle teaching to give. The problem is it can become legalistic with the I have to mindset. A pro is it encourages me to release back to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Everything belongs to God. So part of the tithing mindset is it encourages me to release open hands. But it places parameters at times on how much you think you should give. A pro is this. It encourages budgeting, which is good. A con is this. You can think you own 90% of it. That's a negative. It encourages first fruits or best of concept that I bring before God in worship. That's good. But it can cause you, the tithe can, just to focus on you. Look at what I'm doing. A pro is this. 10% is a great place to start. The con is 10% is a terrible place to stay. It's a terrible place to stay. So generosity, don't, 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 don't miss this. Generosity is the heartbeat of heaven. Generosity is the lifeblood of the new covenant. When you study the new covenant, those 27 books that we'll start to enter into here in a few weeks, starting with Matthew all the way through Revelation, the new covenant screams live a life of generosity. And it's all captured in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So generosity, again, is heaven's heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you know the grace of Jesus? Listen, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. You know the grace of Jesus, that he is God in flesh? You know the grace of our Lord, that he was willing to lay aside deistic privileges and leave heaven and come to earth and identify with the lowest of lows of common man? You know the grace of God? You know the grace demonstrated in Jesus, that he owned it all, yet for your sake? He was willing to become poor. You, you know that 
Heaven's heartbeat is generosity. You know that everything Jesus did was motivated out of this generosity of God. You, you know that, don't, don't you? Yes. So generosity is our response to God's grace. I personally believe that grace is the most important theological term in the New Covenant. Grace is God's action of love and mercy and pursuit and acceptance. It's God's love in action pursuing those that deserve judgment and condemnation, yet wooing us back to himself saying, I'm going to withhold what you deserve and I'm going to give you what you could never earn. It's called grace. If we got what we deserved, we would all explode and spend eternity in hell. So grace is the most important theological term for me in the entire new covenant because it's God withholding what we deserve and God giving us what we could never earn is God pouring out who he is through the person of Jesus Christ. Grace is so powerful. Now, stay with me. Stay with me when it comes to this whole thing of giving. Under the law, as I've studied it, I give so that I can be accepted. That is the mindset of religion. I give in order to be accepted. Under grace, I give because I've been accepted. Tithing under the law teaches performance that you do in order that you can get. Grace teaches that because I've already got, I can't help but release it. Under the law, I give as duty and I may resent it. Under grace, I give as devotion and I rejoice in it. It's not mine. Everything I have, everything I receive belongs to the Lord. Whatever, whatever the law required, grace inspires so much greater. So much greater. Again, tithing is a good place to start. It is a terrible place to stay. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, he emptied himself and poured out who he was. Paul says we should become broken bread and spilled out wine. Under the law, I give the least amount that I can to keep God and others off my back. Under grace, I give as much as I can to express my gratitude to the Lord. Did you hear that? Under grace, we're constantly giving the best that we've got and all that we can to express our gratitude. Here's a fundamental truth. Fundamental truth. How we handle our money is one of the truest indicators of how well we understand God's word and how much we trust God. How you handle your resources, how you handle your money is one of the truest indicators 
of how well you understand God's truth and how much you trust him. Do I understand what God says? Do I trust him? That, that is the question that you have to answer in your heart. Do I trust God? And if not, why do I refuse to trust God? God has called me to live a generous life with my time, with my talents, with my resources. Everything that I have is to be used for his glory. So we are stewards. We're stewards, not owners. And a steward was a person who managed the business that belonged to somebody else. So we got people here that are business owners. It can be fallacious because you're nothing more than a steward of ultimately what belongs to God. I own my own business to a point, legal documentation. But really, you are a steward of what belongs to God. Good stewards would take what belonged to the owner and he would invest that and bring back even a greater profit for the owner. I, I want to utilize the owner's resources for the owner's glory and I, I want to bring more back to him than he's given. A bad steward would waste the owner's resources on his own hedonistic personal pleasure-seeking. God has called us to be stewards. And God has called us under the umbrella of stewardship to live a life of generosity. Most Americans that you meet view themselves as owners and believe that their stuff, money, materialism, whatever, is theirs, and they can use it ever how they want. Terrible perspective. We're stewards. Stewards are consumed with God's passions to reach the lost, to teach, to train, to send people into the world. Stewards are consumed with God's passions to advance His kingdom. Owners will resent you if you ask questions about their finances, about their giving. They will resent you. It's mine. And they will say, who are you to intrude in my business? Stewards welcome godly counsel so that they can do everything that they can to advance God's causes. Come on. So God has called us as a new covenant follower of Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus, the anointed one, to live a generous lifestyle and to live with eternity as the backdrop. Generosity is essential to spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. Now, we would reject the thought that a person is spiritually mature and spiritually strong if they never prayed and if they never read the Bible, never studied the Bible, if they rejected fellowship with other people, if they were unfaithful to their wife, we, we would reject the thought and say, that, uh, that person's not spiritually strong. But for some odd reason, many people think that they can be spiritually strong 
without having the area in their life of giving and stewardship totally transformed, you can not grow if you're robbing God. You can't. You have to steward your time, your body, what you put in it, what you put on it, what you put around it. You have to watch your playgrounds, your playmates, your play toys, because I belong to God. I, I gave him the title deed of my house years ago. I've been bought with a price. It's not I that lives, but it's Christ that now lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I can't cheat God and rob God, and I can't cheat my spouse and rob from my spouse. You would say you can't be spiritually strong if you're unfaithful to your spouse. You can't be spiritually strong if you don't live a life of generosity, if you're not in the word, in prayer. You can't. And for 28 years, it's been our marriage. Stay in the word, babe. Stay in prayer. Let's do this together. I was telling Nick the other day, and I had this conversation with my son on Thursday. When I surrendered to Christ in October of 1985, I started studying and meditating on this word. And I wanted to know God, and I wanted to know God's word, and I wanted to obey God, and I wanted my life transformed by theological truth. And I was telling Jesse, the last 33 years, that one thread of being in the word and the word being in me, you just don't read the word, you let the word read you. I said, if you pull that one thread out of my life, my marriage looks way different. My parenting looks way different. How I do life looks way different. I said, Jesse, the thread that has held the fabric of your daddy's life together has been the word of God. I want to understand it and know it, and then I want to live it and trust that God that says, do this. You're a steward. I want you to honor me. What we do with money, reveals our true priorities. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You want to get to know somebody's heart? Look at what they treasure. Listen to the conversations. Look at their checkbook or look at their credit card statement what is on it where are you giving your time and attention and your resources to where your treasure is that's where your heart's going to be what do you treasure most in your journey I was telling my buddy Drew on Friday night I said I can tell my kids that I value or treasure whatever my kids live with me every day. They know what I value and treasure. I know what they value and treasure. And God says, where your treasure is, that, that, that's where your heart is. But I want you to love me with all your 
Is there anything that occupies a slot in my life that has taken me away from allegiance to the kingship of Jesus Christ? We've got to look at it. Giving is crucial to worship. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. You can't worship God in spirit if you're contradicting truth. The only way you can fully engage in worshiping God in spirit and in truth is that your life has to be aligned to truth so that you can freely engage in spirit. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Do you live a life of generosity? This is Generosity Sunday, and we're excited about where God has taken us, but I will tell you this. Giving is crucial to worship. 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, I want each of you, I want each of you, <clears throat> plug your name in. I want you, Tim. I want you, Benji. I want you, Blake. I want you, Nick. I want you to take plenty of time and pray it over. I want you to make up your mind on what you're going to give. God loves it when the giver delights in giving. I, I want you to set aside time. I want you to pray through living a life of generosity. Now, I, I'm excited that you're willing to take the 100-day giving challenge and start at the baseline level. I'm, I'm excited. But the more you walk with Jesus, it's a good place to start with a tithe. It's a bad place to stay because God has called us to live radical lives flooded with generosity. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Giving is a lifestyle that develops a generous heart. First Timothy, this is one of the great passages here. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and trust in their money. Every person under my voice is in the, at least the 90th percentile of the wealthiest people on the planet today. Every one of us. We're in the 90th percentile. Hey, tell those who've got wealth, who are rich, don't trust your money. It's unreliable. He goes on to say, our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God, let God provide. Tell them to use their money to do good. Use your money to do good. So he says, tell them, I'm telling you. Use your money to glorify God. Use your money to advance God's kingdom. Use your money that the kingdom of God May expand and explode. Tell them, tell them. Okay, tell them. They should be rich and doing good works. They should be rich and being generous to those who are in need. Always ready to share with others. By doing this, they're storing up their treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. They're, they're storing up treasure in heaven. By doing this, they're, they're, they're storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future, for the future, where we're going to reign and rule with the king forever. T tell them to do this. Yes. T tell them, to, don't rob God. Don't, don't steal. 
tell them that the secret to life is living a generous life. Tell, tell them, tell them to be generous. And I would highly encourage you to start 10, 10, 80. Start at 10, 10, 80. You give the first 10, you save 10, you live on 80. Start, start please there. That has protected Barb and I for 28 years of marriage. It's protected you guys, Benji and Tanya. 10, 10, 80. Start there. We're at 20 plus percent now on giving. Is that proud? No, it was a goal. In the next five years, I, I pray that Barb and I are at a place where we can give away 30, 35% of everything that comes in to advance the kingdom. Did you start there? No. But we eliminated and reduced and we realized that to obtain a lifestyle is one thing, but trying to maintain that lifestyle is something else. And we knew that if we could obtain simplicity, we could maintain simplicity and we would always be in a position where we could live like this. Live with your hands open. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You never extended yourself too much? No. No. We didn't want to paralyze ourselves so that we could not be broken bread and spilled out wine. Generosity must be intentional and it must be consistent. He says in the text, plan ahead, pray through it. Plan ahead on what you're going to do. So two plus years ago, we had our next chapter campaign here as we were talking about expanding and building a sports field. It's there. As we were talking about utilizing that sports field to reach the next generation and partnering with I-9 Sports, there's going to be tons of little kids out there playing flag football starting right after Labor Day. We go, yes, there's going to be kids that are going to have moms and dads and there's going to be families and we're going to get to rub shoulders and do life with them and introduce them to Christ. We do this adult men's flag football league. And some of you guys, Jeremy, you've invited other friends that don't even go to church here to come be a part of that. And you're like, if we're going to have that, we're going to invite people that are not a part of the cross to come and play flag football so that we can introduce them to Christ. I'm like, yes. 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 We're punching out 3,200 more square feet. Every additional kids' classroom that we're adding means that we're freeing up adult space as well. We're going to have way more kids' space. And we've gone from 24 small groups to 29 small groups just in the last five months. What does that mean? It means people are doing life in circles, not in rows, and they're able to share and pray with each other and encourage each other. Yes. I'm not fired up about 3,200 square feet. I'm not fired up about having seats that people can sit in. I'm fired up that people are going to be sitting there that hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and have a chance to see radical transformation and generational alteration take place in their life. How does it happen? It happens with you and I setting the standard of saying we will live a generous life. We cannot ask our people to do what we're unwilling to do. You model what you mandate. You model what you mandate. 
Nick, we model it. We're, we're, we're the models, dude. Big-headed, ugly models, brother, but we're modeling it. Steve is starting a small group here right after Labor Day, our dollars and cents class. It's six weeks to help you get out of debt, help you to strategically get yourself in a place where you can win going forward. I promise you, we've got tracks and classes to help you. Dallas and Sandy, they do a small group here on Saturday, Stronger Body, trying to help you eat right so that you can feel right, so that you've got more energy to do right for the kingdom. Y'all do that? Yes, because we care about seeing you win. We, we want you to win in life. Listen to this. Generosity inspires sacrificial living. You've got to sacrifice. Mark chapter 12 tells the story of the little widow. Check it out. All the others gave. These people were coming by, Pharisees and others, dropping money in, dropping money in. And Mark, and Mark captures it saying, all, all these other people gave what they'll never miss. This poor widow, she gave extravagantly. She gave what she couldn't afford. She gave it all. And you study the story and Jesus applauds her saying, yes, she was all in. You're Messiah, you're Lord. And I believe that God measures the sacrifice involved, not just the financial value. What's it going to cost you? What's it going to cost you to give that up? What, what, what's it going to cost you to lay that aside? What's it going to cost you to get your life together? And again, for Barb and I personally, I can tell you, it's like, all right, we've got to make some sacrifices. We've got to clean up some things. We, we, we got to figure out where to put number three, number four, number five when they started being born. We're, we're not going to move. We're going to have bunk beds, and we got to figure it out. We're, we're not moving. You bought that house for 148000 Yes. Stay in it, homie. Pay it off. Make it work. You don't need any more. Okay. And I'm not saying if you live in 500 or a million or 100, it's not about that. I'm just saying, if we're going to live a life of generosity, sometimes you've got to sacrifice. Remember when we started going out after we realized we were pregnant with number four, trying to win the Breeders' Cup, and we were going out trying to, uh, we were like, man, we, we probably need some more rooms. And we started looking, and I'm like, I'm not going to go out and pay $299. I'm not going to go out and pay $349. Man, that would really paralyze us, and we would obtain something that would be hard for us to maintain, and that would be a violation of the principle that we're living by. And it wouldn't allow us to be in a position to live a generous life, would it? No. Then let's stay in a position where we can live generous. And I'm just telling you right now, sometimes you have to give up in order to grow up if you're going to show up to be a blessing to other people. I promise you, you do everything you have, everything you receive, everything you give belongs to the Lord. You can give without loving. But you cannot love 
without giving. Do you love? For God so loved that he gave. What did he give? He gave his very, very best.